Marlon, thanks for being here, man. How's it going? It's going great, brother. Just glad to be here. <laughs> glad for you to be here too. Marlon, it's been a while. We've been trying to catch up and I'm glad we did finally on video because this is, I've been wanting you Wonderful. on the Yeah, I've been wanting you on the cast for a while. So Marlon, you're a unique individual. Um, not many people, I would say, are Renaissance men or women, but you're one of those guys that that handle it well. Like you're basically, you run the spectrum of like creating amazing photography and artwork all the way to like bow hunting. And before that, you've been, you know, in the business field, especially in the tech space business field where you were, you know, operating at a very, very high level. And there's not many people also that actually operate in all these categories like business, hunting, artwork. You're like, you're always one of the, the highest operators. One of the, one of the, I would say like what they call a players versus like B and C players. So man, it's been a, it's a pleasure to have you on the cast today. And, um, you know, I'd love to hear about like where you started in all this. Like, how did you, where'd you grow up? Like the story, the origin story of Marlon would be awesome. You know, that, that's, um, it's, it's really funny, but I think that I can bring the basics down to, uh, being younger, like formative years, teens, even before that, um, never having gone to, uh, any type of traditional schooling to any extent, no homeschooling. I think I had, uh, uh, my last year of high school and then my first year of grade school in curriculum, homeschool. That's all the education that I've ever had. And as I grew up on a boat sailing around the world, and then I got back. I did not know that. Wait a minute. Tell me more about that right away. <laughs> so, so when I was a young man, like we're talking eight, we left. I just turned eight. Yeah. We left the United States and we embarked and sailed around the world on a 58-foot sailboat, a Hudson Force 50 catch, 58-foot uh -huh. boat. Um and we circumnavigated the world. We did not go around Cape of Good Hope or Cape Horn. We went through the Panama Canal and the Suez Canal. Uh, but, you know, we did a circumnavigation. And that, that first trip took us about seven years. So we went all over the place. And wow. there was no agenda. There was no kind of itinerary. Like, we got to be here, and then we got to go there. I mean, this thing goes six miles an hour, right? So yeah. it, it takes you anywhere between 28 to 40 days to cross the Pacific Ocean. And so you're just kind of, you have to ration water, you're brushing your teeth with salt water, you're brushing your clothes with salt water, you're washing in salt water, you get a quarter water to wash the salt off your body. And you do that once a week and you, everything you do is in salt water, you spearfish, you hunt, you, it's just a subsistence lifestyle. You meet a lot of unique indigenous cultures, you learn about culture, you learn that the streets you live on, the town that you live on, the country that you live in, uh, Everything comes from a skewed perspective. So I've learned to very rapidly open my mind and not listen to everything that's been put my way. Now, along with that came my assimilation back into society in, I'd say, my middle, late teen years. Uh, having never gone to school, everybody said, no, no, you huh. can't have a job with me. No, you're not qualified. No, you can't get a driver's license. Like, you don't know anything. Who are you? And as a result of needing like a diploma or a piece of paper or uh, experience in a particular area and always being told, no, you don't have it. In my head, I'm like, I, 
actually possess a higher understanding of what you're talking about right now than you sitting in the shoes in your position telling me that I don't. I'm telling you right now I can do whatever I want. And if you want me to do that, that's no problem at all. Well, you don't have this little certificate that says somebody said you put in your time that you're worthy right. of being in this position. Uh, and so I learned very quickly that you pave your way. And if you want to make anything in yourself, you must do it. You don't have to like care about what anyone else thinks of you or even care about what anyone says about you or believes you can do. The only person you have to be accountable is the guy looking back at you in the mirror and whether or not he believes it. And if he does, great. If he doesn't, too bad. Either way, like whichever way you believe it's right. And so I've always chose not to believe that I can. I've always chose to believe that I can. Um, and the only position that I was ever given growing up was a sales job because, you know, it's sink or swim. It's like sure. the bullpen is do or die, right? Yeah, either prove yourself, you're thrown to the wolves, and like you either come back with like wolf skin covering you and a battle axe or you are bloodied, bruised, and kicked down the hill. Yep. Um, and within like, you know, it didn't matter where I went within – a very short period of time, like I would knock everybody out of the way, not because it was something where I was trying to beat anybody or break any records. I just had to do me. Sure. Like it was a very survival, very primitive, do whatever it takes to win type of a thing. So um, I think from my formative years, that's something that's been a very pivotal uh, foundation piece in allowing me to believe that I need the endeavor that I choose to pursue that that was that component that I needed in order to unlock, um, you know, any sort of success. Yeah. I like, I like where you went with that because there's a lot of people out there that don't have those degrees and like pushed through it anyway. And I agree, man. I, I actually have a, you know, master's degree, undergrad, stuff like that. It did. It did give me like a foot in the door when, you know, all it really takes is, someone willing to like put in the time to like do a job really, really well. Right. So I don't, I totally get what you're saying. The trial by fire thing still happened. Even I, even with the degrees, like for, like for me, I even got, you know, I got a job that I didn't think I was qualified for as in like, it was really tough. And my degree didn't get me that job. It got me my foot in the door. Right. <laughs> mm -hmm. But after that, it was up to me, like the two or three days, like of interview process that finally got me that job. Like if I didn't put in the like 12 to 14 hours it took to master that job for like the next three months to six months of like just giving it my all trial by fire kind of a thing. Like I never would be in my career either. I never would have made anything of myself. So there's no question about it, man. If you, if you can make it happen, especially in sales, like you're unstoppable and you're the, one of those people, man, you're a really good salesperson. So that's, I think by design, like, yeah, I'll, I'll just fast forward a little bit to this gallery that I'm in right now. Yeah. I founded this gallery with, you know, nothing, just kind of like building it from the, the ground up and an art business from the ground up after leaving a tech field. And my brain operates in any capacity that I see that I desire to move in, not that, oh, well, I'm right brained or left brained. I think that should be good at both of them yeah and if you can't maneuver in both of them in some way you're hampered like if you're a great artist but you don't know how to sell it and you don't understand numbers and you don't understand hmm, well, what's my cost per square footage and how much is it does it cost me to put 
this piece of artwork on this wall and how many of these do I need to move in order to make it worthwhile to have this piece of art on the wall and you don't move within the metrics and understanding of how many widgets you need your artwork you can't be attached to it emotionally it's a widget and you have to understand that x amount of widgets is going to make this a, a business that's going to move forward like if you're just right-brained you're going to think oh my god I'm so in love with that the light was so amazing it was just such a serene moment I was just so zenned out like sorry you're so dead before you even start and yeah you might be the 0.0001% that can be that way and for whatever reason made it before you died and somebody gave you some sort of a claim uh but if you want to see success in today's world and you really want to build something with your heart from the ground up then you better start jumping into some left field left brain tactics and like, I think it's very important to know both sides, like through, through and through. And, you know, we'll kind of touch on something that you just talked about, like a minute ago with the degree, like, um, I have so many people that would come work for me. They got this hundred, hundred fifty, two hundred thousand dollar degree in some field that they were attorneys, man. They were psychologists. They were everything under the sun, right? Mm -hmm student loans up the butt and they'd come looking for a job. They'd be like, Hey, uh, you know, can I sell for you? I'm like, what? You have this crazy degree. What do you want to come work with me for? You know? Oh, well, you know, they're saturated. There's so many people doing it. I can't seem to like tap into whatever it is. Right. And so they would try and come and sell. And at the end of the day, I truly believe that if you want to be a market maker and a trendsetter, uh, the root fundamental, the core philosophy that you have to believe in first is sales. Sales is the heartbeat of any machine. I don't care what it is. If you're a great plastic surgeon, your work better be so damn good. You might have gone to med school and you might have gone to the best school, but if you aren't, if you aren't an artist with your work and your work doesn't speak for itself and you don't know how to get into the room with a bedside manner that sells your work, in a way that assures that client, prospective client, that not only is your work top notch, and you've done it a thousand times, but it's going to come out 20 times better than any other plastic surgeon on the face of this earth. You still have to possess sales skills, even if you went to school for that and you're accredited for it. Doesn't matter. Like sales is the heartbeat, I believe, of any organization there is. Doesn't matter what it is. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that's where a lot of people in the art field kind of mess up. They're like, I don't know how to do business. I don't know how to make sales. I don't know how to market myself. And it's like, those are the core, that's the core to you actually owning your own business. And if you don't know those things, like go and learn them and, or go, go get a job doing them and you get paid to learn. Right. So you either learn them or you don't fail yeah, and you end up getting doing. a job. Yeah. Well, the, the job actually, see what I always thought, at least I saw the job, a job as you're getting paid a salary, right? And you, people go, oh, it's the end all be all. I'm gonna, that's my entire life. I'm gonna go start a family. I can buy a house, this and that. I always thought it, I always thought it as like, I'm getting paid to actually do a job where I can learn why I'm here. And there's so much value for me to like reach out to this department where I'm in this company and just doing like product um, strategy and like, like finance stuff. And it was like, 
why, why, why are, why is nobody else like trying to reach out to these other parts of the business and understand them? And I literally went through the entire business and this is what I think it's because I, my first job, I worked as a consultant and it's like, you need to understand every piece of the business to actually understand what's going wrong with the business and what's going right. And then you make business process and systems around that to like fix whatever's wrong with the company. Um, if there is anything wrong, of course. So I think it's weird that, you know, a lot of people think they can just like tweet or post a picture on Instagram or just some video on YouTube and think, oh yeah, I'm just going to make videos that people that I want, right? I'm going to make a video that I want to watch. And it's, I think that's one of the bigger mistakes is you're making content for yourself and you should be making content for what people actually want to see. So if you're trying to sell art, like write a thread, you know what I mean? Like, write Like, do content related things that will sell your art, like research that stuff. And you know what I mean? I don't know. But coming from your side of the fence, man, which is really cool. You already had those skills and then you went into art, right? Isn't that how it went? Like you had the sales skills. You had the idea of like what it takes to run a PL because of you were in the space earlier. You're in the business, you know, uh, consumer lending on, you know, tech side, which I mean, that's, you got to be really smart to be able to be in consumer lending in the tech space. Like it's just, you, you, you just don't, people don't mess around in the FinTech space. Like you either get it or you don't in like 30 or 60 days and you don't have a job. Like you just, oh yeah. So you just move on to another job, right? That's it's literally trial by fire in FinTech. So, I mean, that's how at least I see it. So where did you come from though? Like, so you, so you said you, you didn't, you went sailing around the world that's awesome. And you got off the boat at some point in your life, right? What, eight years later, you said, or seven years later, you said mm -hmm. seven. Okay. Yeah. So like you were like 15 or 16 years old when you get off the boat. And what did you, what was next? You finished high school. And then what was your first job out of high school? Was it, was it in sales or? No, I uh, went to the U S coast guard. Uh, oh, nice. got, got my hundred ton captain's license with the U S coast oh, guard as nice. a master merchant mariner. And nice. I started running, I started offering like, you know, basically running these private sport fishers all up and down oh, wow. the coast. Very cool. That's how I'm, in West, I'm the West. Yeah, yeah, yeah. California. Okay. And, yes. and so after being a captain, I started tapping into like uh, higher net worth individuals that own these three, four, five million dollar private yachts. Right. And then, you know, and then I would study. I, I basically I'm a student of anything like as a uh, a couple things that I like to say, but one of them is if you're green, you're growing. If you're ripe, you're rot. Yep. So I don't ever want to be in a place where I think I know everything. I also don't want to ever be in a place where uh, I come off as arrogant, but I will always come across as somebody who knows something about everything to a degree, willing to learn and, 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 and confident and competent. And so, um, you know, when I got out of school, um, which I only did a year uh, and part of the last year of my junior year. Um, I just went and, and got this captain's license. Uh, I already had the sea time because I lived on a, on a boat for so long. Right. So you have to have sea time as part of your accreditation. And then, you know, you get your certificate. Um, and I just spent several years running boats. And um, it wasn't long before that I realized that the yachting industry is uh, it, it's it's an amazing place, but at the same time, there's no money in it. it it's kind of it has a ceiling, and that that ceiling's not going to ever go anywhere. So, right. 
but I did meet some amazing contacts in it, you know, business owners, people that all, everyone who owns these boats, they all own their businesses. And uh, I met a few really amazing individuals and that's how I got thrown in the sales. And sales was a very sink or swim thing, but uh, I've always been a self-starter. I've always been more of a natural leader, uh, definitely somebody who executes with my own accord. I don't need anybody to tell me anything. And I certainly don't need anybody to tell me to get up out of bed and put your shoes on. Like it's time to go and we're motivated and we have things to do. And I always kind of had that philosophy growing up. So uh, when I started sales, uh, I just, you know, rose really quickly because I knew that if you didn't, I saw what the turnover ratio was. So I was nobody, I, I, and I, to be quite candid, let's be fair. Like I'm nobody now. I will never, I don't care who I am. I will never become somebody who is thinking of themselves as such a great individual. I like to think in terms of humility, but always work in quiet, always work out of sight and shake and move and do things because, um, uh, peacocking to me is kind of like overrated. So yeah, I just worked up in sales and, and ended up, you know, leading divisions and building systems that run companies that do billions in revenue, um, you know, with just under 10,000 uh, mortgage loan originators and um, all across the country. Uh, we did a lot of M&A during those days and um, built uh, pipeline policies, procedures, uh, risk assessment, management, you know, uh, a lot of direct reports, a lot of leadership, a lot of grueling meetings in what we called the war room where all leadership would get in there and we'd battle it out and figure out how we're going to run this giant beast that we were creating. Um, you know, and uh, one day I'm like, uh, I'm getting older. Um, I spend 16, 17, 18 hours a day sometimes thinking about this. It's all I can think about. Um, like, what am I doing with my life? really kind of coming to Jesus moments within myself where you look in the mirror and go, okay, what's next. Right. Um, and, and so, you know, it sounds funny, but the, the polar opposite is photography, right? I've always spent a lot of time outdoors. Uh, always spent a lot of time in nature and uh, I've always done photography. I just never monetized it. So um, I just decided to set out and see what I could do in this space. Uh, it's been a lot of fun with, had a lot of success. We built a, a really nice, comfortable seven-figure business. I would like to turn that into an eight or nine-figure business, and I think that uh, we can do that. Um, and that's all about, uh, you know, economic setup. So we're just kind of uh, working hard every day. Uh, I think that success is defined by showing up and continuing to do something different every single day, never repeating the process or the steps that you did yesterday, expecting tomorrow to be different, always changing something up, creating something a little different, having a slightly different approach, a little different angle. Even if it's uh, having a, a wider ranging product offering, let's say I went, just got back from Canada. Well, I have a bunch of people that come in here that live in Canada and come visit and they ask me, Hey, do you have anything from Banff or Alberta? Or, no, now I do. Uh, right. Nice so, <laughs> so it's about kind of scope, breadth, width, uh, dynamic diversity, um, just really keeping my mind open and uh, always looking at the uh, the leading edge of the blade and trying to make sure that I'm staying sharp. Yeah, I like that. It's so it's you you lead such an interesting life. Like you literally circumnavigated the uh, the planet on a sailboat. You 
then got into business and you did really well in like obviously doing your captain's license, then getting into the tech, you know, consumer lending category and just killing it there. I mean, and then you got into like art and now, I mean, you, you're also a bow hunter, right? Like, isn't that like a, you're, you're like a Mr. Outdoorsman here. Um, you basically can, it's, it's just reminds me a lot of me just cause uh, I also grew up on boats and stuff like that. My brothers all have their hundred ton, 500 ton licenses, stuff like that. From that the is cool. Yeah. So they all, they all have it. I don't have my, I don't have my captain's license. Um, I, I just don't have the hours like logged in the logbook somewhere, but man, that's interesting. So tell me how you got, so how did you get up the courage to like leave corporate life to do art? And did you actually make that decision right away? Or did you actually have like this ramp up, ramp down time period that you were like, I'm going to ramp down doing business, the, the, you know, the tech business side and I'm ramp up my art. And then as soon as I can, you know, match my income over here i'm gonna leave and go do my art is that how you did it or did you just leave uh, um long and short of it is uh i left i just left no it wasn't without um conscious thought it wasn't without a strategy and a plan it wasn't uh like back of the napkin math it was very organized uh, I had process procedure, I had operations, I had um, sourcing, I had, you know, demographic research, I had all that kind of like figured out. And I and I knew what I was getting myself into in the category. Um, I had spoken to and reached out and hired independent consultants that worked for other entities within my field. And, and I did a lot of research leading up to it. Um, did those hires actually that, work out? Did they, did they actually give you a lot of insight that you didn't have, like the hires, or did you actually learn most of it yourself? You know, uh, it's interesting. A little bit of both. Okay. So, so um, like, there, there's there's nothing like boots on the ground. Boots on the ground is always going to like, like being in the pit. There's nothing like being in the pit. Yeah. Being in the pit lets you know what not only how to lead, because if you've never been in the pit, you're not going to be a good leader. Yeah. Your people are going to look at you and go, you don't know how to lead because you don't know what we deal with. And if you don't know how to feel their frustration, then you're never going to be good at doing what they do in their daily life to make sure that the main organization, the heartbeat of what you do runs right. So your culture is going to suffer. Um, so for me, it's a little bit of both. It's a hybrid, right? And I, I had consultants that came in to kind of give me an outlet, like basic framework of what the landscape looks like. But then I took it from there on the ground. And, um, and, and I've always believed, you know, even back in, in, in the mortgage world, like that's really what taught me more than anything, servant leadership, like truly right. to become somebody that is there before everyone gets there there after everyone goes home on repeat day in day out no matter how long it takes so that way you can build a culture where people want to walk through walls for you yeah um based off of you perpetually and continually walking through walls for them and so it, it's just been this kind of um a perpetual desire to like want to know what the heartbeat and the pulse of your organization is along with truly understanding what people want as far as the consumer end of it and with your product and are you on the right track or not. Right. Um, and then kind of merging everything together. 
Yeah, that makes sense. I was wondering about that. Like it's 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 an interesting jump to go, but it's uh I'm assuming you already had like at least a client or two on the art side that wanted to buy your art, or at least you've sold a couple of pieces by then, right? Before you left, well, did you leave, sell some pieces before that? I, I guess it's it's fair to to kind of come full circle on that. We didn't do, didn't do that. So when I took the jump, I realized that yes, I could go higher in the organization. I could continue to grow. I can make it a lifelong career where I wear a suit and I have direct reports and I have a bunch of direct reports that report to me and there's a chain of command and, you know, I could be a corporate man. Um, Or I could be heart led, be passionate about something. And I just chose to um, not let any more of my life slip me by and do something that kind of like allowed me to feel passionate and reinvigorated. So when I um, went in, I actually met with, you know, a a guy who I see as being very formative for me. Um, I went into his office and sat down and ran through my business plan. And I said, hey, just like you ran me through your business plan when this business uh, was founded, here's mine. And uh, shook his hand and I said, thank you so much for everything that you've taught me, truly. Um, like that was my, that was my degree in real life learning yeah, business no from that aspect. Yeah. Yeah. There's no doubt. That's I, I tell that to everybody I talk to. It's like, Hey, you know what? You have degrees. I'm like, yeah, it met, it taught me nothing on the job for six to 12 months. I got my PhD in business. You know what I mean? Like literally my, the guy that like managed me and the other people that I was there, he was just like, you have your PhD in business now, Luke. So go do some great stuff. I'm like, what are you talking about? I my PhD in business because I tell people literally, I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, no, I mean, you've learned from all these people here and we're all Stanford, Harvard, Harvard, Stanford, Harvard, Harvard degrees, you know, like all these like genius, genius people. They really were a lot of genius get people, not because they have degrees, but they just were. And um, yeah, man, I, that first job taught me everything. So it's all about, like you said, analytics and understanding like KPIs and all that stuff. And if you understand analytics and like tracking and KPIs, everything you need to understand for like success, you will be successful or you're not looking at the numbers and you're not actually doing like operating your business correctly if you're not doing that. And that's what I like when you said, I like using my right and and left side of my brain. Like I actually was, what side is the creative side? Is it the right or the left? So it's supposed to be the right, but. Okay. I was born right brained and I started memorizing stuff when I was a kid. So like, I'm assuming that I, I basically had to teach myself the analytical side. And it was not easy, dude. Like I, my first, I used to suck at math because I was like, what's the point of algebra? I don't even understand. Like I needed that whole like application of like, hey, why am I using algebra, guys? Like it doesn't even make any sense. Then this one teacher reached me and I was like, oh shit, like this stuff really works. Like, hold on. I was like, and I, I, I got my first taste of math where I was like super engaged in a class of, it was an astrophysics class. And um, I didn't even want to take it. My my that sounds horrible. It does, dude. Listen. That sounds so straight miserable. <laughs> <laughs> Astrophysics. Let me tell you. Like, the, let me tell you the quick story. So my girlfriend at the time, she goes, "Hey, I'm taking astronomy," and I'm like, "That's a like that's a real class. Like it sounds like a grammar school class to me." You know what I mean? Like this is great. 
And she's, you know, in the same school I am. So I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take astronomy. She's like selling me on astronomy. Like, oh, we get to go to the observatory and just like hang out in like these cool things, looking at stars all day. I'm like, that sounds like a great class. Yeah, we could totally, you know, you just enjoy it. And I walk into this class and she knew that it was like an astronomy class, but it was like the professor was kind of like trying to trick people to get people that go to his course. So it was an astrophysics class, but it was, it was called astronomy, like 201 and no other thing. So I was like, Oh, this is great. We're just going to go to the, like, we're just going to go hang out in like one of those planetariums. You know what I mean? Like listen to those guys, like do audio conversations, like explaining where all the planets are and shit. This is great. No, the guy goes, welcome to astrophysics, everybody. And I'm like, wait, what's this? And they're like, yeah, it's going to be all math. We're not going to a planetarium. We are not leaving this place right here where we're at right now. We're talking about parsecs and mapping out like how to get, you know, how, the distance between stars and how long it would take you to get there. And it's all, oh it my all, Lord. It all math. And I was like, I am effed because at this point, I had zero confidence in my math skills. So I was like, okay. Dude, I'd be out right there. Yeah, uh, but here's the like, thing. Where, where's the opt-out button? <laughs> the, the, yeah, the chip on my shoulder, though, is the whole thing that keeps me going is everybody telling me I can't do stuff my entire life. So like the girl I was with like knew exactly how to push that button. She goes, hey, Luke, it's cool if you want to like drop this course. Like I, you can't, you, I'll probably be better at it than you will. And I was like, what did you just say? Oh, it's odd. I'm staying and I'm going to get a better grade than you. Totally, totally like knew how to like engage me. By the end of the semester, I was like totally after I thought, I'm like, I, I'm just not, I'm no way I'm going to do well on this. And I ended up getting an A and she ended up getting an A minus and I beat her. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> I was like, I'm a, math, I'm a math genius. Just call me Einstein. I was like literally walking around, like telling her, I'm like, she would be like, Luke, I'm like, that's Einstein. Just call me Einstein. It's cool. Um, so, man, that was that was literally how I got tricked into understanding. Like, I actually, when I had a purpose to, like, like math, I could smoke it, right? Like, crazy math, too. Like, this, it wasn't easy, dude. Like, astrophysics is not a joke. <laughs> like, I couldn't do it to save my life right now. But back then, I smoked my GF at the time. So, you know what I mean? Like, that was pretty good. She, uh, she was, like, a straight-A student, so... MBD. So yeah, man, it's, um, it's interesting. The whole right and left brain thing that I, I actually thought I was a creative person and I just, there's no way I'm going to be able to like learn math and all this other stuff. And I just, as soon as I had a good taste of math, that was not just the statistics. I was just bought in. Cause like everything in life is analytics and math, right? Let's be honest. Like I can look at a spreadsheet and tell from raw data if, how a company's doing and what's wrong with their business just by looking at like a raw data spreadsheet, they'd be like, how do you sure. do? So that's what I'm saying. Like the math and the analytics and all that stuff. It's so critical. And like you said, the, the art side is also crazy critical because it's, you solve problems with your right brain, right? You create works of art with your right brain. And the other analytical part of it is like, Hey, I understand the business side. So you basically have both. Right. And that's rare. Most people don't have both. They have one and they're happy with one so yeah I'm, I'm and i'm not really sure how that came to be like it's not something that one day i chose it i think yeah. that i just i think that what happens is you innovate within yourself yep right and and nowadays i think that there's a lot of it that says okay you don't need to be a jack of all trades 
you need to think of your highest and best use. And if you need something done to program, like build a website, for example, well, I don't want to sit there and reinvent the wheel and go create code. I'm going to go hire somebody that's been studying this for years to go do it for me. Now it's like, okay, how can I delegate? And, and, you know, you can do this and you can do this and, and I'm going to stay in my lane. There's something to be said for, I'm going to be smart enough to know that I'm not the smartest guy in the room. And by knowing that I'm not the smartest guy in the room, get the smartest people in the room to work with me and collaborate together by showing them how much I appreciate them and then have them go do these tasks by which, you know, then they're going to do a really great job than me sitting down trying to figure out how to do all this stuff. Like in the beginning, it was like, let's do, uh, let's do more with less. Right. So I'm going to try and figure out how to do all this stuff. I'm going to try and figure out how to be good at sales. I'm going to try and figure out how to be, create the best piece of art. I'm going to try and navigate all of it. I'm going to try and swim that water. And then, you know, and then you, you just like start maturing more and more and you realize, okay, I can't do this. My bandwidth is only set at, at so much. I have so many hours in a day to dedicate something to help dedicate something for family, dedicate time towards uh, getting, you know, life done in terms of direction, right? right? Like what right. are we doing and whatnot? And then, and then there, there's like very, very little bit that has anything to do with like this thing called leisure. These people living these Instagram lives kind of like blow my mind. It, it just does not, does not relate in any state, shape or form to me at all. Like I don't take vacations. I don't do any of that, but um, you know, back to the, what you were talking about the right and left brain it's like in the beginning formatively like i, I kind of had to it was just who else was going to do it it's either i learn how to get good at graphic design or i'm going to pay thousands of dollars trying to create a brand id but back then i didn't have thousands of dollars to create a brand id so i figured out how to like do this stuff on my own nowadays i kind of just end up farming a lot of that stuff out but as a result i've kept certain components that have i think definitely come to the assist as a result of kind of using my brain in certain areas that it also has uh, a, in a lot of ways it helps you communicate with people like i can speak your language for example you and i we can speak each other's language 100%. now we might get together with somebody let's say for example we had three or four people around a table we all had mics and you know they had like some completely like far left or far right right and you're trying to speak their language. If you don't know how to speak their language, like if they're super maybe on the emotional side and all you want to do is talk analytics, like you're not going to get through. If yeah. anything, they're going to be like, they don't care about me. All they care about is business. All they care about are the numbers, right? And so if you're truly in love with your business, you're going to like learn how to engage that other side of your brain so you can speak their language. So that way they understand the agenda or they understand the assignment based on the fact that you understand how to engage your brain and speak their language. So I think that there's a lot of different parts uh, to it that, you know, you operate on that a lot of actually really good leaders in business operate on understanding both sides of their brain to some degree and capacity in order to be great leaders. Otherwise, we wouldn't be. We would actually suffer significantly um, or we would have to be sheltered from those people and have other people that are the face of the organization that do that job for us. Right. But then you don't have a really good core belief system within your organization. And people always want to know that they have a great leader that they're at the helm with. Right. So, 
uh, I think that a lot of us that have developed uh, a certain set of acumen and skill set that has shown to be um, resourceful and positive and creating a great place that's fun to work at and builds revenue and growth. I think that we kind of intuitively use our ability to use, engage that side of our brain based off of just basic things like, you know, learning how to speak somebody's language. It doesn't always work out because sometimes we'll get in like a personal relationship with like a friend or, you know, for in our scenarios, like, you know, a girlfriend where she's feeling a certain way. We don't know how to engage in that way. And so maybe we're like not communicating in that language of love or, or whatever it is in that friendship that makes that, and, and that dynamic of understanding how to like really speak their language really can help us in so many ways. I think that's a huge topic. Like that could be something all to its own. Like if you can learn how to speak. I mean, that's what I do in sales. Yeah. Learn how to speak their language. As soon as they come through the door. Seduction. The word seduction like goes into my head instantly. I was actually listening to, uh, I'm sure you know who Robert, you know, Robert Green um, and his mm. books. Yeah. Like yes. uh, 48 laws of power. Um, human nature, seduction, all that stuff. He's got, he's got a lot of really good books and I was actually listening to it because I don't really read. I listen to books. I mean, sorry, not sorry. Yeah, no, no, um, no, no. <laughs> I, Does anybody read them anymore? I don't know. I think they do. And I have, I've, that's one thing I've noticed is that people who read a lot of books have really bad eyesight. And uh, usually like in their, I'm serious. Like this is a, I, I mentally take notes as a, somehow an analytics person. Like i my brothers, my, my father, my friends, all of them that read lots and lots of books in the, uh, when they're like twenties or even in their like late teens into their twenties, like they're all blind, man. Like they're like by 28, they need like glasses and, uh, and like 30, maybe 30 at the latest. Like there's one person who's got glasses when they were, they turned 30. I was like, it's cause you read too many books. You should start listening to them or just practice what the book is teaching you. And you'll learn so much more by practicing it rather than just reading about it. And uh, I think there's a lot, I think there's a lot in the future between you and me. I think like the old way of, you know, there used to be like blacksmith, like understudies and stuff like that. Whereas an apprentice, I think apprenticeships are going to start making themselves like that's the place where people are going to learn how to do jobs rather than going to college anymore. I think people are going to start doing apprenticeships because if I, if I actually skipped grad school and went right to like the company I worked for right out of grad school, like I would have learned more there than any graduate. I didn't use any of my graduate school knowledge in thousand percent. My first like three I, after grad school. <laughs> I, I don't want to get too political here, but I think like school in general is a total fraud. Like I, I agree. You know, here's the thing. I, I you know I actually thought the same thing until recently. And I'm an online like teacher as well. I'm sure you probably have seen me in Twitter spaces teaching people all the time. But uh, I'm, I'm also a creator of like content that teaches people like courses and stuff like that. I've, I haven't really sold like tons of them, but I've created courses to give away for free, all the stuff like that. And I've taught at like colleges and things like that. What's cool about school compared to like not at school for like, let's just say you want to learn something online, like you take an co online course or some stuff like that, like some creator, you're, every creator is kind of competing with other creators. But if you go to college, you're, you're dealing with teachers who aren't like literally competing against each other. 
They're like 10 year professors. They have nothing to worry about. So they can teach you stuff and not have to worry about sharing knowledge with another professor that's in the school. You know what I mean? Like, except for people that are online that are teaching you stuff, they're always going to be competing for your business. So you are literally, they'll never give, like, let's just pretend you're learning from somebody that teaches something online. You become a competitor to them as soon as you learn how to do what they do. So in theory, they're incentivized to hold back 15 to 20% of like their magic, like what really makes whatever they're doing online successful. They're not going to give to you, but teachers in a regular school will give that to you. There's like also the people that go to school with you at a regular institution. They're not really competing with you in class. You're all trying to learn together. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. That's why I, I, I actually thought online education or like learning for yourself was going to like take over college and college is going to be obsolete. And then I realized every content creator that's making like an educational product of some kind is competing with each other. And not only competing with each other as creators, they're competing with their students as soon as their students graduate. Like yeah. it's, it's a crazy. So people that say like online education is going to like trade, you're going to trade that for like, Oh, I'm going to learn a course on like marketing um, in like, three months from this online creator. Yeah, you'll learn some stuff. But you're not going to learn like actually how to do it until you do it. And shit changes you know, quick. So like, so back, take this back into mortgage days. Yep. Um, attrition was probably the highest in sales, especially in the mortgage marketplace than any I've ever experienced. Yeah. People... You would tell within like less than 60 days whether somebody's going to make it. And you, you, you generally have to get somebody through like one funding period to kind of see like what they're going to do and then give them the benefit of the doubt to do a course correction after the first 60 days to have like a coming to Jesus moment. Hey, are you like wasting our time or are you going to start converting? Are you going to start pulling credit? Like what's your average talk time? Are you getting socials? Are you running credit reports? Like blah, blah, blah. All these different little metrics we'd look at. You say, look, we need to turn the nose on this wagon here. Like, you're going to go this way or this way, but you sure as hell aren't going this way. Like, because right. you keep doing this and like this seat here, this space that you're taking up is 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 dead. It becomes like, you know, we're operating in, in uh, the red and we can't have that. So um, it's interesting that you can tell it that everybody's heard this. You lead a horse to water, you can't tell it to drink. The same goes for people. I could fill a room, just like maybe a guy like Tony Robbins could fill a room with like 5,000, 10,000 people that want to learn how to make, build a seven-figure business. He could give it away for free, bro. And there might be 100 people that'll listen out of the 10,000. Maybe five there might be... <laughs> There might be there. If you're lucky, there might fucking be five people that listen and like two or three that actually do it. That that and, and the numbers are staggering. Like there's a ton of people that will buy something that says, give me the shortcuts. But there is no substitute for doing the work. That's so true. Like. That's so true. And everybody's looking for the secret sauce, man. And, yeah. and so no matter what type of content creator you are out there. If, if anything, I think the propagation of a bunch of people buying, competing in a space to create content that's catchy and edgy enough to grab somebody's attention is keeping you sharp, knowing that there's sharks after your ass. 
and creating good stuff and your mind's always turning, like who's going to actually execute on what you teach them? I don't know. Not a lot of people like I remember I used to give a ton of advice spaces like uh, uh, groups. I'd, I'd host events, workshops, sure. people come in. They'd be for free. I just wanted to do it as community led type of a thing. Just sure. for, you know, hey, I'm a kid. I don't really know what to do. Well, here's what you do. Like the people where the rubber meets the road, you're looking over the dashboard. I think most people live in the exhaust. I totally, I totally agree. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's the gym membership analogy, right? Everybody buys a gym membership, but the gyms actually rely on the people who don't go to the gym to fund the gym and stay out of the gym. Um, yeah. Most people don't take, the, most people know what to do. They just don't want to do it. They buy a gym membership and they feel good that their account gets deducted, but they don't ever use the damn thing. That's like, what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. They, dude. they count on those people to like not use the gym. And if you can count, there's a business model out there that counts on you not using what they're, they're selling you. That means like humans are unbelievably predictable. And yeah, bro, it's, like, it, it's literally technology market, like microtransactions, like apps and shit that we use that are on their phone. There's a ton of them on there right now that, you know, yep. we barely ever use half the time. And that they rely on that minimal, like $5.99 a month, $9.99 yeah. a month. It's insignificant. Don't worry about it. I'm not going to look at it. And it auto renews. And, you know, you're just kind of like off in the periphery somewhere. I love Those companies. businesses are dangerous good they're amazing <laughs> so that's what i'm yeah. doing so that my company social proof does exactly that so it's gonna it does does similar things so it's interesting that you said that but yeah man microtransactions and like SaaS software in general is literally that's the stuff you make something super useful for like a certain type of person like you can make it's like the sky's the limit because all you have to do is build it once and you sell it ten thousand times to like those people that need to use it Netflix, right? Nine bucks a month. It's a microtransaction. People forget. That's like two coffees, bro, at most. Like mm -hmm. people will just forget about it. Microtransactions are definitely the way, man. I agree. Couldn't agree more. So how good. No, no, no. Go, go, go. I was gonna say, how the hell did you make this this jump from corporate life? And you were just like, hey, I'm going, I'm gonna jump into the art world and I'm gonna go like backwoods exploring, taking photographs everywhere I'm going, like Alaska, Canada. I don't even know where else, dude. You, you've been, <laughs> if I look at your timeline, I'm just like, this guy's been like everywhere. Like you've literally been to every continent. Have you been to like the Galapagos yet? Oh yeah. We've spent uh, four, four months in the Galapagos. Yeah. the Galapagos. Oh my God. That's so cool, dude. Where haven't, where have you not been that you can't wait to go? Is there a place? Oh, that I can't wait to go. No, not really. Um, You've already done it. See? I've, been to, I've, I've been to places that I, I've been and that I want to go visit again. And I, to be honest, I have like no desire to be in like conflict war torn areas. Yeah. I like to go to beautiful places, like places that have amazing natural beauty, but you know, the people are great. Culture's amazing. Food's good. Like, yeah, I like places like that. You know, you go in Indonesia like bali you go to philippines you go to thailand you, you know you go to the seychelles you go to new zealand like i love the south pacific i mean even parts of africa south america incredible the red sea the adriatic like all through gosh dude like there's so many places that are just off the charts incredible but uh there are places i want to go back to there's not a ton of places that i haven't been that i that i haven't that I haven't 
haven't been, but they're serious bucket list. Like, I want to go back to the Faroe Islands. I want to spend more time in Tasmania. I want to definitely spend more time in the South Island of New Zealand. Uh, I'd like to spend some time in Micronesia. Um, I didn't even know that was a real place. I thought that was like a Zoolander thing. Micronesia? Bro, Micronesia is like nuts. It looks like um, these just green emerald studded islands all over the place with beautiful reefs and like amazing tropical fish and blue water. And yeah. That's cool. How, my question to you, how do you like, what's your top three places? If you had, like you had to go back like, oh, I can't wait to get back there. What's your top three places you've ever been? Not saying you, like, you don't have to go back. Let's just say the top three places you've ever been. That, that's, that's a tough one. That's so tough. It, it's, it's like, that is the most commonly asked question that I get. Like, where's your favorite place? And, and I tell people that the world is incredible. The world is like food. Like sometimes I just want to be super bad and I want to eat pizza and ice cream. I'm going to eat pizza and ice cream, you know, thick crust, cheese dripping off of it, sausage, all of the works. Just, <laughs> Beat it up. And then after that, you know, some Ben and Jerry's or local gelato shop. Perfect. Right. Like, I don't, I don't want to live off of that. Like it was good for that meal. And then, you know, if there's some left over tomorrow, I might grab a couple pieces of pizza and eat it cold. Like cold pizza is good. But after that, like I'm done. Maybe the next day I want sushi. And then how about some tacos? Carne asada, bro. Come on. Right, Taco Tuesday. Tacos. Taco Tuesday, baby. It's like there's all this amazing food. There's all this amazing culture. There's all these amazing places. I think that when I think in terms of what's my favorite, it's more about wanting to go back to a certain place because of the way it made me feel. And I can count on feeling that way when I go there. Like I know when I go to Bora Bora, I'm going to feel – I'm going to feel the certain – the humidity that hits you in Bora Bora, it's the same every time. The sunlight, the way everything is, the colors are not saturated, but they're, they're just so vivid. Everything around you is like your, your senses are on like high alert, right? Every pixel of your world just seems brighter and more lush and vibrant. It's just amazing. The sun hits your skin and you can feel that warmth. And then you jump in the water and it's just like gin clear with fish everywhere. And you're like, you know that this vibe when you go to this place and you fly in into Bora Bora, you land, you take the ferry over to Vaitape and you, you know, go eat some breakfast at the little breakfast joint right next to there. They have this cafe. It's the Aloe Cafe. You could eat as many French pastries as you want, like chocolate croissants, apricot filled chocolate croissant. Like, I mean, literally they bring you out a tray filled with them. You can eat like six of them a day and be a total fat ass <laughs> and not gain any weight. No problem with gluten intolerances, no issues. Like don't feel bloated, like because their food's so clean. It's only here that you have those problems. Oh, I didn't you don't have those problems. You go everywhere else. You don't have these problems. You eat whatever you want. And, and so you could go to that place and feel that way. But I can take you to Iceland. And between the months of December through March, we could show up during a high KP Aurora event, dress you super, super warm for sub-zero temperatures, take you out and see the glaciated ice cap mountains with a clear sky and then 
aurora just starts blowing up and dancing around you'll have an outer body experience that like you just you'd sit there and say you know what? i never want to be in negative 20 or 30 in my life like as a matter of fact count me out but then after you see that you'll be like marlon anytime you go again like i really want to see that again that's dope and the world is so cool like the street food in cartagena colombia you go there so the spaniards built like a wall around cartagena there's the old city that's inside there's a new city that's outside you go into the old city and there's these street vendors all over the place and they have these different meats that cook on spits on their little stands and they carve it off right there on the street stands and they put it in like a little thing and you just walk around there's all this stuff going on around you culture color like great food and you're just like i'm in colombia like I've been told this place is like, you know, vicious and like, you know, there's more drug lords. And I'm over here like living the time, uh, having the time of my life eating amazing food that's delicious, right? Every single place in the world is like that. There's no such thing as, so we've been taught that we need to have polarizations. That's good, that's bad. We've been taught that we need to vilify if you're liberal or you're uh, conservative, let, let's vilify it. Let's 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 make it a polarity. And I think the polarities are very dangerous because uh, that's the only way that we can be sheep that are led. And so, kind of cer- coming full circle to your question of why do you use your right and left brain? How is that you you know have shaped yourself to be a certain way that you're kind of like in hunting but can do art or can do business but you're you know, all about take, going out into nature and taking photographs and capturing rare moments of light. It has to do with the fact that I do not polarize anything and I can look at anyone and, and see their point of view and say, hey, if that's good for you and you rock it and you own it and you love it, awesome. Like, I want that for you. Doesn't mean it's for me. Right. And don't try and try and shove it down my throat, by the way, because then we're going to have a problem. But if you want to do that, dude, Go knock yourself out, have fun. I want you to have a blessed, happy life. Like, it's awesome. So the world to me has been this place that's fostered my imagination. It has not um, sheltered me to the extent that I don't understand that a shark is going to eat your ass if you're not reading its body language properly. That's one thing I love about Mother Nature. Like, out, out, out in the business world, it's like, oh, he looked at me wrong or she looked at me wrong or somebody said so-and-so or this email like offended me. And it's like, oh God, like workplace harassment or, you know, culture or whatever. There's so much that goes along with corporate culture that goes along with United, the, the culture in the United States as a nation, as a society, what we're led to believe based on these polarities, based on your party, based off all of the garbage that doesn't really matter. Anywhere else, it doesn't matter. We're led to believe that it matters outside of here. And so what I love is going to places that elicit certain feelings where I know I can go and count on feeling a certain way. Um, and then I'll just go back because I want to feel that way again. Yeah, that and makes sense. Just like, the Gal- just like the Galapagos Islands, for example, like we didn't have a permit to go there. Our, our, the vessel that we were sailing around the world on broke a mainstay. So the main cable that keeps the main mast up on the starboard side, the chain plate cracked and busted off. And so we made an emergency stop and the port captain took us to their welder, had the chain, the, the, 
the actual um, chain plate fixed. And then once it was fixed, he's like, hey, by the way, you're here. Like, take however long you want. Just go hang out, run around the islands, do whatever you want. That's and, awesome. you know, here's my information. If anybody questions you, just have them contact me. You're good. And gave us a letter and everything. We stayed there for like several months and just cruised around and checked stuff. It was the most amazing thing ever. You see tortoises the size of a Volkswagen bus. They have bananas there that are like two feet long, this bigger. You can't finish a banana. That's awesome. You can't finish. If you tried to finish the banana, Lucas, you will not finish the banana, <laughs> right? Like, there, and, and so the world is just so full of these amazing experiences that I like to consider myself the sum of a little of everything. And that if you come to me, I can be open-minded enough to listen to you. Doesn't mean I'm going to believe it, but I'm going to give you the latitude of listening and, and, and trying to come from an empathetic understanding point of view. Yeah, I like that, man. I like the way you, uh, you compare the world. Like I definitely have been told that Colombia is a very stabby place to visit or uh, people like to stab you there. So it's pretty, I don't really like to visit stabby locations in the, in the world myself, but you said it's awesome. And I, I have a couple of friends that also spent some time in Medellin and uh, Cartagena as well. And they loved it. So you're, you're absolutely mm -hmm. right. But we were, we were taught to like demonize it because of like uh, Escobar and, you know, the drug wars and all that stuff, like back in the eighties and nineties, they made like tons of TV shows on it. There's like Netflix specials and yep. series like built on it. You already know that. You and, know? I, and I'm not saying that stuff doesn't exist. Yeah. Like course. it very much so does exist. Like we've been chased the pirate by pirates at sea. We've been shot at, like you, you go, went into the duty free zone. So when you go into the Panama canal and you get provisions on the Cologne side, there's a duty free zone. It's several miles away from where you're, all the, the yacht harbor is sure so once you pop out on the atlantic side in cologne you uh go to the duty-free zone you provision well this guy had a stainless steel casio watch he got his hand cut off for a stainless steel watch like yeah. in the duty-free zone leaving the duty-free zone with all of his groceries and he got all his groceries stolen too all his provisions like uh venezuela punta fijo venezuela dude don't ever go there you will be like either robbed or killed or something bad will happen to you really fast. There's places you don't want to go and you don't want to mess with. And like, there are no exceptions. Yeah. Now the kids might be good. There's families that are good there, but politicians are corrupt. The police is on, on the ground level are corrupt. And like, as a whole, there are certain places you just simply want to stay away from. We got like basically everything taken away from us and we're threatened that we we're going to lose our boat and all this stuff based off of like pay us money like extortion yeah. right bribes and it's so there's a lot of that that happens but you kind of like uh learn from it and you learn to play by those rules versus the 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 bullshit that goes on nowadays where it's like oh i'm offended like okay get over your offendedness because there's a lot of this world that doesn't give a rat's ass whether you're offended or not like yeah, and that's why a shark's not going to be offended at all they don't really care they're just going to bite you so yeah yeah stay there and be offended and you're going to be food you know and 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 that's a lot of the reason why i like to hunt that's why i go to the mountains it's a means of you know because coming full circle right it's a means of being able to um be a part of nature right being a part of our ultimate true cycle like the moment we were born we were born takers we we took our first breath we were not given our first breath we take we take it we drink water we eat food 
uh, as a matter of fact, there are several studies out there that, and we don't have to get too deep into this, right? But like, if you were to take every vole, mole, weasel, quail, animal, you, rabbit, varmint, fox, you, coyote off the land, because in order to farm vegetables and create, you know, the corn and the, the wheat and all the stuff, the neat things we need to eat, you got to kill everything to do that. You got to right. get rid of it all because it all chews into your crop, well, it which chews into yeah. Yeah, it chews in and it takes the food, everything. If you were to cover this earth with nothing but fields and crops, there's not enough water to, to water it all. Right. And there's not enough land to grow all the food on. So you have to have an understanding of diversity. Like truly, if you want to be, for example, a vegan or if you want to have like a, a diet without meat in it, uh, that's a privilege. That's a luxury of the Western culture. You don't have that privilege anywhere else. If you live in Alaska, there is nowhere to grow your food like that. If you want an electric vehicle and you live out in the middle of nowhere, I'm sorry, your grid's going to go down. How often do you think of our own grid going down saying you can't charge your vehicle because the grid's over, you know, can't, can't handle anymore. Like there's certain things that are unrealistic. And I think what's wonderful about the world is that it teaches you that really fast without listening to the politicians and anything that's kind of like overarching to make you believe a certain thing, it gets rid of all those beliefs. So everything becomes demystified as a process of just exposing yourself to the realities of the world. And you start just respecting things. Like I respect cold, crisp, clean water that's filtered that's, that, you know, a kid in a certain place of South America or Africa or certain third world countries just simply doesn't have shoot even in Mexico. Right. Um, so when I get to go on a mountain and take my bow with me and legally and ethically pursue and harvest a game animal for my personal consumption, I feel so blessed and fortunate to be able to live in a country that allows me to do that, but be able to go out and hone my skills as a man uh, that believes that, you know, we are, we are men, we are to be providers, we are to be builders, we are to be creators, uh, to go out and purpose myself in a way that, um, how would I frame it that, that a lot of us have heard it before? I'd rather be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war. Like, yeah, I want to be that person that can go out there and I can build shelter, I can build you a fire. If we're out there, you're going to survive. If you're with me, like, you have no problems or the problems are going to be significantly mitigated yeah. due to the fact that I've dedicated my life to an extreme level at surviving in all types of different areas and ecosystems. Um, whether that be shelter, warmth or food, right? Like all of the very base level primary needs that we have. So whether I do that in the city by going and creating a business that offers a product, good or service that, has the man that cultivates profit or margin revenue that allows me to survive and sustain in, a, in, in our multi modern Western day culture, or that I go out into the wilds and do it how I did it when I was growing up on a boat. Because when you travel around the world, people don't understand that grocery stores don't exist. You got to fish for your, you got to fish for your dinner. You, you, uh -huh. Well, you either learn how to fish or hunt or you're not eating at all. Yeah. That, that's, There's no gas that's station. There's no, grocery store like people look at you you pull up into a village like a good solid 85 percent of this earth is like unpopulated like right. and if there is there's little villages and stuff like we live here where 
you know, it's kind of like the epicenter of like civility and culture and supposed technological advancements and science and like, you know, all the we're benefits Rome. of the modern. Yeah, we're right. Rome in like, like 180. <laughs> totally. And, and the rest of the world is like literally, you know, what's a smartphone? Like right. what? What are, what are those little white things racing across the sky that are super shiny really fast? Those can't be stars. Like a lot of the world <laughs> doesn't understand what a satellite is yet. That's crazy. And they still live that way. And and it's the wow. it it's the the big headedness or or maybe the the egotistical side of modern of modern day Rome that sits there and says, Oh, well the the rest of the world needs to get with the program. I mean we do do that we do do that. <laughs> but there's no way to be able to get the rest of the world to where Rome is because Rome consumes more raw natural energy resources than anywhere else in the world. The rest of the world, Rome could take a chapter out of the rest of the world from a sustenance I, perspective. Yeah, like, I agree with you. So, so it's kind of like, a, you know, we're trying to engage in building businesses and advancements and profit margin and revenue. And, but then I also speak the language of the earth. I also speak a language of take only what you need, respect everything you're given, wake up and enjoy the sunshine. Know what it's like. Have you ever done a box breath? Don't even know what that is. Is that a jellyfish? Bro, bro. <laughs> super, super cool. <laughs> Sorry. So, so you'll, so for a second, I do this for like 15 minutes sometimes. Do you? So exhale. Yeah. Taking a full breath for five seconds. Then you hold it for five seconds. You exhale for five seconds. You hold, you hold that exhale for five seconds. You breathe in for five seconds. So. Hold. Exhale. Hold. Inhale. Hold. So like this rhythmic pattern of our circulatory system, like you can like literally watch the sun come up, watch the the birds start to fly, watch nature start to go into its own biorhythm, learn your own circulatory system, breathe, and you'll start to see how, boy, after the end of that short five seconds, you really want to take that next breath. And then after you've held that breath for five seconds, you're really ready to exhale it so that that way you can take your next one, but you got to wait. So it's this little cycle. And I like to think in terms of balance and that we need to be aggressive in the things that we pursue in life, but also have balance in the way that we see our world. Yeah. I like that, man. That's a, that's a solid point too. It also kind of teaches you like the patience of the balance too, right? Cause you really, Oh, you can't wait to take that breath as you're holding for five seconds. Right. And you're like, Oh, like five gotta seconds. Wait. Gotta wait that five seconds. Gotta wait. And then you want to exhale, like you said, and then you got to wait that five seconds. So it's definitely teaching you that, that cycle of like, patience hey you know discipline everything's, yeah, yeah everything's happening everything's gonna work out keep keeping that discipline keep in doing keep doing things consistently and you'll get used to the things that you need to have discipline over so it's definitely interesting and i obviously i'm one of those proponents of discipline kind of like e equals freedom 
So I definitely think that's part of the way. And that's, I think that's why there's a 99, there's a 99 and 1% because 1% of people will do the things the other 99 won't do. Like basically just put some of these things into action and then like, like do it, like go all the way in on these things. And, you know, a lot of people that I always say, like, at least I, I've said in the last three or four years, like you can count on people to be uh, inconsistent and lazy. And those are the two things you can definitely count on majority of people to be inconsistent and lazy. They could buy a membership to something or music or whatever it is. Like if it takes action or it takes like something for them to do 99% of the time, they won't do it. And that's the thing that's, that's the unfair advantage people like us have because all we have to do is act while they are watching Netflix. Act. Sleeping in. Yeah. Act while they're sleeping in. Act while they're out at brunch. Right. And don't get me wrong. Brunch is great, but you know, I, uh, I don't take days off either. Like you said, like I literally don't take days off and the stuff I do because I actually like what I do. So there's yeah. no reason to take days off. So, you know, that that's a good, a good point. Um, be decisive, be somebody who has the ability to take control of your future by taking action. Uh, don't be the person that it, like, if you have a bunch of friends that sit around and all they want to do is talk about how bad their week was, how many bills they have, how uh, they can't wait for their vacation, how they hate their job. Uh, get a new f- group of friends as fast as you can, because all you've learned is that that person isn't following their dreams. They don't know how to manage their money. They're abusing their life and the privileges that they have in life with regard to time that don't promote health, conscious things like eating or goals, right? It's been said a thousand times, but I believe it to my core. And I, and I, and I know you do too, but like, you show me your closest three friends, five, you show me your closest friend group. and I'm going to tell you exactly how your future is going to look. And the moment you start to say, I realize this, I understand that. And I do not accept it. You're going to outgrow a lot of people. Yep. You're just simply going to outgrow them. And if they text you, it doesn't mean you have to be rude, but it's very short. Like, hope you had a good day done. And eventually they'll get the point. And you just won't have a conversation at all anymore. Not because I'm better, not because you're better, not because we've become better than these people. It's a simple arithmetic of like outgrowing somebody who is unwilling to make changes that give them more of a definitive purpose and direction that will take them to the next step in their lives. And whatever that might be, I don't care if you like underwater basket weaving, you want to become the best at it. Well then freaking go do it. Like, at the end of the day, it's not to be extreme or I'm a, you know, I served for 25 years. I'm the most extreme special forces person. I have this nutrition line. You get up at 430, do what others won't. You know, like it doesn't have to be this militant, crazy, wild, radical agenda. It can be whatever you want, but it's just about making a plan, creating it, envisioning it, and then executing it. I don't I sit everybody. I think that's why, where everybody messes up though is the execution part. I think people have like all these great intentions, right? Especially after January 1st, January 1st comes yeah. around. Everybody wants to go work out. They're going to lose that 20 pounds. They, they gained over, 
you know, Thanksgiving and Christmas. And then they're like, Oh, I can't wait. New year's resolution, man. New year's resolution. 92% of people that make a new year's resolution do not take part in their new year's resolution. They don't end up doing it. So, yeah. And it's funny. Like, I don't even think in terms of that. Yeah. I just go to the gym because it's a lifestyle. Same. I like I, to be honestly, in shape. I, like, I can't imagine not working out. Like it's part of my everyday life. Like I yeah. at least do cardio for like four or five miles a day, at least, right? Minimum. And I do it every day. I don't even miss a day. Like I don't even on Sundays. I don't take any days off to do like exercise in general. You, you sound like old Twitter spaces, Lucas. <laughs> you, just feel, you just feel better. You just feel better, right? I mean, that's how I feel at least. And then like, obviously I do, uh, what's it called? Uh, resistance, resistance training, you know, lifting and stuff like that, like three, four times a week. So, but man, that's the way to do it. Like make it part of your life. Like you can't, it's kind of like breathing. Like don't, don't just like do it when it's convenient, like make it so that it's just like breathing. Like don't feel good for the rest of the day unless you get your, your workout in, whether that's like walking, right. Even if you have to start off like walking most of the time or light, lightly jogging or walking half the time or something that gets you out in the sun and, you know, get that, get the blood and energy pumping, man. I really think that that's changed. That's definitely changed my life at least making making exercise consistent, even if you don't do, you know, four or five miles a day, even if you get out there and do two miles, that's plenty. You showed up. It, it, it's all about, um, I believe. Yeah. It, it is all about setting the proper expectations for yourself. It is about taking a piece of paper. If that's the way that you are, if your mind doesn't handle everything, you need to be visual, like drawing a line in it and then separating into two categories. Like what do I control? What do I not control? I control what I eat, how much I sleep, uh, what I put in my, you know, what, what other things I put in my body? Uh, what am I going to do? And here's my time slots and what, and, and then here's the things that I can't control acts of God, somebody cutting me off, like, right. And whatever you can control, then start doing it. I love it. No excuses. Like right now, start doing it. If you can control it, start doing it. If you can't control it, like forget about it. Just take it and push it aside because it doesn't matter. It's going to happen or it's not going to happen. There's nothing you can do about it. There's nothing that you can set in motion to make it happen. Like you can't just pray for rain tomorrow and have it show up. Like it's not going to happen. So, Think of it in terms of I'm going to set best practices for myself. I'm going to do a deep dive into my life and see what is going to help me orchestrate and build the purpose-driven life that I desire and deserve based off of the effort that I put into it. And I'm going to execute starting now. And then the rest of it's just like gravy. Like let that be what it is, but execute on the things that you have control over. That oh, is amazing. About that. That, that right there, man. <laughs> well said, Forrest Gump. That was really good. Um, that is some really heavy motivational stuff there. That's something that that's Marlin right there, man. That's good. That's good stuff. I like it. Um, you think you traveling around everywhere, visiting everywhere, doing your 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 art, your hunting, all that stuff. Do you think it has? Do you think your childhood like basically made you like? unafraid to go travel and unafraid to go explore around the world. You think your childhood had a lot to do with that? Cause you basically like cruise the world on a sailboat. A lot of people's dream 
cruise, cruise your cruise the world on a sailboat for seven or eight years is pretty pretty cool. Do you think that childhood like basically contributed to you visiting other countries and being unafraid to do that? I mean, absolutely, it did. But um, you know, to be honest with you, um, whether we get our start doing something like that or whether we just decide that you know there's more. Like I'm telling you right now, this is not a flat earth, right? Like yeah. we live in a very round, we go around this world and it's an amazing place and there's a lot to see. Don't get so comfortable that the, the only thing that you believe in is the town you grew up in and what media pushes into your face. Because the moment you start doing that, you're no longer an individual. Right. Like you're no longer separate. You're no longer like, it, it's good to be part of the moving organism but it's good to be part of a moving organism. Like if I'm going to be part of the moving organism, I sure as hell I'm going to be the head, bro. I like it. <laughs> Dude, I like it. That's very uh, apex. Um, huge fan of the whole like, hey, dominate the business world. So big fan of that that comment right there. So my question to you next is like, what should I go? Where should I go? Seeing I've, I've lived a pretty sheltered life. Like don't get me wrong. I've been to Europe been to some pla- some cool places, but I haven't been to all the places you have. Like what's a place like top three place I need to go to. That's just, that will just change me for like a really, a, in a really positive way. You think top three places I've been to the Caribbean a ton, like every, basically every Island is a Caribbean um, and Spain and in France and things like that. But where, where of a, uh, where's a place that I need to go to. You know, I think that, uh, like uh, Bali is a really cool place. New Zealand's a really cool place. These are popular destinations. They're safe. You know, there's uh, a lot of good food, a lot of good culture, a lot of really great places and things to see and experience. Um, I'm a huge fan of tropical things. I love coconut trees. I love you know, Same. tall, <laughs> like beautiful islands with with crystal blue water and. Like I love obviously diving and spearfishing and all this, you know, stuff that has to do with just, I love beautiful things. I'm not a huge fan of cold. It's not my favorite thing to do. I will go, but not my favorite. Um, Like South Pacific, Indo-Pacific are just huge hits on my list. Things that, you know, Seychelles is a place everyone should go in their lifetime. The Maldives, a place everyone should go in their lifetime. Australia, a place someone, everyone should go. Australian food isn't that great. There might be some people on here that are going to not like me for saying that, but (laughs) I think that we definitely have cornered Australia on the food side of things. But um, the country itself is gorgeous, like stunning. And New Zealand, South Island, you'll never... But see, I'm coming from an outdoorsman perspective too. Like I love roughing it. I like being in a tent. I don't, you know, I, if I go to a place that has a beautiful resort, like you sure as hell aren't going to catch me there. I just won't be there. I want to be kind of like out living it on a boat or on a hut or camped out on the beach or kind of just taking it all in. Like, um, you know, I like to go spear a fish and there's this thing called ciguatera poisoning in through all throughout the tropics. And if you eat it, you'll either die or have like the most severe abdominal cramps and pain and muscle pain and fatigue and sickness. And like, it cripples you. 
And if you survive it, you know, the effects of it will last like your whole life. So like you no put the fit. You, <laughs> yeah. Well, you just, once the fish is out and a lot of, not a lot of people know this, but the Islanders, the, the locals will know you just put the fish out. And if the flies come to it, then you eat it. If the flies don't come to it, you throw it away. Oh, wow. The flies can taste the toxin on the, on the fish and the flies will come to it and go all over it and you're good to go. You start flaying it up. Like I like climbing a coconut tree, grinding the coconut, squeezing the cream out of the coconut with lime juice and mixing fresh fish in there, making raw poisson crew on the beach and just hanging out and like self-sustaining, build a fire, like go get some lobster and, and maybe go for a surf. And like, you know, my idea of having like a genuine experience is not being a tourist. Um, if I'm in the mountains, I want to backpack, filter the water, maybe go kill a couple ptarmigan, roast it over a fire, like hang out, look at the, the stars as they come out when the sun's going down, like really being a part of the fabric of the earth. That to me is a genuine, true experience. And so the way that I experience the world may be a lot different than how a lot of other people choose to want to experience the world. Do I like the comfort of resorts? Do I like the comfort of these things? Sure, I do. But I find like a lot more connectedness and genuineness with a place when I'm there on its terms. So my idea of where to go might be a little bit different than where I might recommend somebody go, given their predisposition to what they like. Um, I get you. South, I'm a, well, South, I'm more of a guy. <laughs> South Island of New Zealand is fjordlands, something that you'll just, it's out of storybook, bro. Like you, you can dive into the bay in four to five feet of water and catch an eight pound crayfish. That's a giant lobster and sit on the beach and roast it over an open fire with like jungle with 4,000 foot, like sheer walls of forest that go up for stretch into miles. And like, it's just a cornucopia of seafood out there. And it's just like this amazing place that's massively beautiful. And you can't even barely comprehend how it's there. And there's like nobody there. Wow fly in by helicopter, go by boat, whatever the case may be, but it's just remote and beautiful and rugged. And there's Alps there with snow covering the peaks, yet you're down there on the beach in your shorts. Like, uh, you know, that, that stuff that it exists is pretty freaking cool. What's in the jungle in, in uh, New Zealand like that? Is it, this, is it a tropical jungle with like monkeys and stuff? Like what is, what's the scoop on mm -hmm. that? No, no monkeys, uh, no snakes. Uh, that I know of, I don't know, no snakes. Um, there used to be like these little things that uh, I'm not sure if they're extinct or not, but you know, um, the kiwi used to be on New Zealand because there was no native predators and it was a flightless bird, right? Yeah, yeah. so you have like, uh, you know, you have red stag, which is like a, a smaller version of, a, of an elk. So, red stag is, and they have what's called the roar down there on South Island, they're, a, they're a, a, an herbivore that's um it's all very prolific all through the island. So you'll hear those things roaring at night, kind of running around, but there's no bears, no monkeys, no, none of that stuff in, in New Zealand. It's more temperate. Didn't they have it's moose? Not... Didn't they have moose at one point in New Zealand? Like somebody, some guy back in like the early 1900s or late 1800s, like trucked in some moose. And like, there was a couple left, like walking around the, the hillside in New Zealand. I, think I, I, I wouldn't, read an article. I wouldn't doubt it. I yeah. wouldn't doubt it. Like there's been so many people that have imported different types of exotic game to New Zealand over the years that there's all types. There's psycho deer, there's fallow deer, there's 
Axis deer, there's red stag, there's American elk, there's, they have all kinds of freaking different animals over there that they've imported, but a lot of them are on game ranches. There's still a lot of stuff that's extremely wild over there. But it's interesting. It's, it's, a, it's a very wild land. It's beautiful. Yeah, I've had a few like opportunities to go there. I just never went. I was just too busy. So well, I gotta be, I be, I gotta become less busy to go to these places. You so. need to go. Yeah, I do. <laughs> Dude, New Zealand's like one of the places I definitely want to go to. But Galapagos, man, I'm a, I'm a natural historic, like a history of, I like history in general. But I'm also like a naturalist too, so I've studied a lot of like, you know what I mean, like Darwinism of like plants and animals, stuff like that through science and. It's such a cool thing that you've been to Galapagos, man. I mean, and spent months there. Like, that's like a dream, uh, going to see, like, animals that exist in nowhere else. So I would definitely want to – that's definitely one of the places I want to hit up. But it's not easy to get there. Like you said, there's no, like, oh, yeah, let's just go to the Galapagos. you got to, like, make pretty big arrangements to get there because it's, you know, it's off, yeah. it's off limits to a lot of people. So, yeah, you have to have a reason for yeah. sure. I need to break my boat when I'm, when I'm traveling by there real quick. I'm just like, <laughs> Oh, sorry. The engine just conked out on me. Uh, I'm going to have to hang out here for a couple of months while the park comes in. <laughs> Man, that's awesome. So you got a, you got a, you got a lot to, you got a lot, you got a big story here. So, man, you got to, we got to continue this another time, man. We got to keep going with this because this conversation, I could talk to you for like another two hours. Um, <laughs> there's so much to talk about, but we got to, you got to nice break this up into part uh, one, two, and three. Right? Well, we have to, man. It's pretty, it's, we gotta, we gotta go through each, you're, you've lived such a, like a rich life and you're so young still. Like, it's crazy that some people haven't even lived like one, one hundredth of the stuff and done one, one hundredth of the stuff you've Not done. Not sure how young I am, pal. Yeah, but you know what I mean. Come on, man. Come on, come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're still young, bro. You know that. My um, wisdom, my wisdom hair is saying otherwise. <laughs> I shaved, so you don't have to see the wisdom hair. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's you've got so much, like you've done so much, because like I know so many people that still live in the same town they've always lived in, right? And they go on vacations, but they go on vacations to like two hours away from their house, right, or an hour and a half drive, and that's all they've ever seen. They've never even been out of the United States, though. This isn't like 1960. This isn't 1940s where people just like hung out and went to the local lake for vacation where, you know, this is 2023 and people still don't travel. People still don't go anywhere. And I think like the pandemic kind of forced us into even more like getting used to our comfort, right? Like we're used to staying at home now. We're used to like not going to the movies. We're used to like just watching Netflix. Like it kind of pushed us into these, like, not me. I'm talking about like other people. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of people that don't do anything anymore. They like we're doing a lot of stuff before the pandemic. And then like post pandemic, they're just used to being set in their ways. You know what I mean? Being like, Oh, well, let's not travel. Let's just call it. Let's, <clears throat> let's do a staycation. You know what I mean? Like things like that. That's just, that, that's just more political agenda driven garbage. Yeah. I, need, like, I, I, I mean, I traveled more during the pandemic than ever before. Yeah. And that was, you probably got amazing deals too, probably during that time as well. Amazing deals. Everything was empty and I had a great time. Yeah. I've had COVID a couple times too. I know it's damaging to a lot of people. I've had it twice. Very tragic. So, yeah, I've had it twice. But, it definitely, it definitely sucks. But it's like, you're right. It's definitely tragic. And uh, you, you either live or you live in fear. You yep. Choose. Yep. I don't disagree with that statement, man. I don't disagree. Let's let's uh, call it a wrap for tonight. But man, we gotta we gotta catch back up. Maybe we can do this, like I said, in real life because you only live in Laguna and I'm up here in LA. 
So, <laughs> let's do it, man. Let's make it happen. I'm gonna, I'm, we I'm can gonna... go have lunch again, but next time you got to eat. <laughs> yeah, I, will, I, will. I wasn't that hungry, dude. But yeah, I'll come down. I'll come down to Laguna and get the setup so we can actually do like a real, like, honest to goodness, like in real life podcast. You're only an hour away from me. So hey, let's make it happen. Sounds good. Good, brother. Hey, man, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you, though, bro. Seriously. Thanks again, Marlon. Of course. It's been a privilege and honor as well, Lucas.